are continuing our summer sermon series called For Those with Eyes to See, Rediscovering the Kingdom of God. For those of you who are students of American history, you are hopefully aware of the names of two very famous men, leaders during the American Revolution. One is Benjamin Franklin and the other is George Whitfield. Now, these were like the original American odd couple. You couldn't find two more different people. George Whitfield, a preacher, Ben Franklin, a philosopher. One a Christian, one a deist. One who loved the church, one who laughed at the church. One who was a devoted husband and loving father. The other a philanderer who, who um, um, had children on who knows how many continents. Two very different people. And yet, lifelong BFFs. It's amazing. Fortunately, through some uh, um, research and, and some people who collected things, we have a lot of their correspondence. They wrote to each other on a regular basis. And so we know about their friendship and we know about the things they talked about. And as I was researching for this sermon today, I came across uh, some correspondence that's now been put online between these two. And there was a uh, part of a letter that George Whitfield wrote to Ben Franklin that goes like this. Whitfield says to Ben, as I find you growing more and more famous in the learned world, I would recommend to your diligent and unprejudiced study the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important study and when mastered, will richly answer all your pains. I bid you, my friend, Remember that one at whose bar we shall both presently appear has solemnly declared that without it we shall in no wise see his kingdom. Well, friends, let me tell you, some 250 years after that letter was penned, it still behooves us to, as he says, with diligence and unprejudiced study, examine this mystery of the new birth. And so today we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about being born again and what that has to do with the kingdom of God. So I invite you to listen or read along with me. If you will, our scripture reading today comes from the New Testament, the gospel according to John from the third chapter. I'm going to read the first through the ninth verse. And this is for many of us a familiar story the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. In fact, our children have done a musical about this. But I would invite you to the best of your ability to hear this with new ears and new understanding. Let us listen for God's word to us. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely you cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. My friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. You always bless us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May it find its home in our hearts this day. And Lord, I pray your, your sacred spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts, removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. By all accounts, Nicodemus was a good man. He was a devout man. We are told that he was a Pharisee, which was the the conservative branch of the Jewish faith. He believed in traditional religion. He practiced traditional values. He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't cuss, and he he didn't go with girls who do. He studied the Torah. He observed the Sabbath. He tithed his money. There was no hint of impropriety or scandal with Nicodemus or any member of his family, and there never would be. This man and his family led their life in strict obedience to the law of Moses, being sure to cross every T and dot every I, and they were good at it. And so Nicodemus became a leader within the Jewish group, within the Pharisees. In fact, we're told that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, which which was something like the Jewish Supreme Court. In other words, he's a big deal. And it is amazing that someone of his stature, someone of his prestige, someone of his standing in the community would seek out, take the risk of be seen with Jesus and his disciples because they were definitely the wrong crowd to be seen with. And so it doesn't surprise us when the scriptures say that, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Well, that makes sense. He didn't want to take the risk of, of anybody seeing him going to this this traveling rabbi. It would totally ruin his reputation, his standing in the community. So it's at night that Nicodemus takes the risk and he goes and he finds Jesus. And he says to Jesus, we've been watching you. And you know what? I believe you have come from God because no one could do the kind of miracles that you're doing if they weren't from God. And Jesus says, congratulations. You know, no one can see, no one can comprehend what God is doing here unless they're born again. 
born again. Has there been a more misused, abused, and maligned phrase in religious language over the years than born again? You know, I did a Google search, and I got over 162 million references to being born again. I did not read them all. But at flipping through the first few pages of these, uh, these hits, one of the things I noticed is that how few of them, maybe one out of four, one out of five at most, had anything to do with a religious context. And we have truly watered down what it means to be born again. You go look up born again and you find stories about, um, um, about athletes having great comeback seasons or about businesses rising from the ashes of financial ruin, or, or celebrities completing their 90 days of rehab. And they all claim to be born again. Really, is that what you think Jesus meant? This word has gotten so twisted and misused and maligned and watered down that, that most of us really don't have a clue anymore what it means to be born again. So today I want to look at that. What did Jesus mean when he said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God? Well, let's start with this word. Uh, the Greek word for born again is anageneo, and it means to be born again or born from above. Both are appropriate translations of what it means to be born again. Born again, born from above. Now, the interesting thing about anageneo is it's only found twice in all of Scripture. It's found here in the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus in John's Gospel, and it's only found one other place, and that's in uh, the Apostle Peter's first letter to the churches of Asia Minor in the first chapter. He uses the word twice in that first chapter. That's it. These are the only places in Scripture that you find the phrase born again. And what's even more interesting is during the literature that we have, from this time period, which is quite a bit actually, this word is not found in any non-biblical sources of any place. In other words, in all of the literature, in all that we have, biblical and non-biblical, this word, anageneo, is only found twice, on the lips of Jesus, in the Gospel of John, and in the first chapter of Peter's letter to the uh, churches of Asia Minor. That's it. Some scholars have, have wondered, did Jesus make up the word? You know, people do that when there's a reality, something they're trying to express that's never been expressed before. Or perhaps some scribe made up the word when they were trying to translate the Aramaic, because Jesus spoke in Aramaic. When they were trying to translate the Aramaic to the Greek koine, which the New Testament was written in, maybe the scribe was trying to come up with some way to translate an Aramaic word that doesn't translate well to Greek. We don't know the exact origins of this word, but we know from its root and from its context that anageneo means to be born again or born from above. It implies a fresh start. Now, the important thing here is it doesn't mean making subtle tweaks. Or, or minor adjustments. Anageneo implies a total overhaul. Uh, go back to square one, start again, total life makeover. It implies new birth, new life. 
a, a complete disconnect of what has been with what will be. This is a total transformation. And so when Jesus says to Nicodemus, Anageneo, you must be born again, it seems to Nicodemus this is a little extreme. I mean, he has spent his whole life being a good man, a religious man. He has the, the respect of his peers. He has written, risen to a level of prestige and leadership in the community. And Jesus says, none of it counts. You got to start all over from the beginning. And, and he says, really, Jesus? Someone of my age, someone who has achieved what I've achieved, I got to start over? I have to be born again? Really? How's that supposed to work? And Jesus goes on to explain. And Jesus begins by, he says that, look, the Son of God, born of the Spirit of God, left heaven and came to earth and was born the Son of Man. So that we of this earth, children of flesh and blood, might ascend to heaven to be born of the Spirit of God in the kingdom of God. Jesus was born that we might be reborn. And you know, Nicodemus gave him a long look and said, what? How am I supposed to make that work? And Jesus said, you don't. It's a mysterious thing. He said, it's like the wind. You know, the wind blows where it will. No one controls the wind. Oh, you can feel the wind. You can, you can feel it on your hands, but you can't grasp it. You can't grab it and hold it and control it and manipulate it and make it do what you want it to do. We, we, we can't see the wind, yet we can see the effects of the wind. And the wind is powerful. And the wind changes things. You don't believe that? Ask a sailor. Or better yet, ask someone who lives out on the Texas Gulf Coast if the wind has the power to change things. And <laughs> see what they tell you. The wind is powerful. Jesus is saying, like the Spirit of God is powerful. It changes things. But you don't control it. The wind blows where it will. And friends, this is one of the great joys and the great mysteries of Scripture. It's that God's Spirit is free and sovereign to do as God wills. It's not about us. It's about God. And furthermore, it doesn't really matter if we understand the ways of God, if we agree with the way of God, if we comprehend the kingdom of God. Because God is greater than our understanding and God is greater than our comprehension. Jesus here is saying to Nicodemus, he's saying, you know, that old way of being religious, that old way of living your faith, of, of, of you know, attending to every dot and tittle of the law, that old way of fulfilling every rule and ritual, it's not going to bring you any closer to God, and it's not going to open the kingdom gates for you. Only God can do that. John talks about this in the first 
chapter of uh, his gospel, uh, there in the, the 12th and 13th verse, John says, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children who are born not of human origin, not of human decision-making, nor of the desires of a husband, but born of God. In other words, being born again is not dependent upon our wishes and our desires or the, the, the fickle passions of our corrupted hearts. We are not born again because we want to be. We are born again because God wants us to be. Think about this. When we are born into this world, none of us have a say in it. None of us decided to be born. We didn't get to choose where we were born or to who we would be born, who our parents would be. None of that. It's just something that happened to us, and we received this life as a gift. So it is with our rebirth. We were born into this world because God wanted us to be born, and we are born into the kingdom because God wants us to be born. We don't get to choose when the Spirit will come upon us or where we will experience the transformation of God's love. We don't decide the when, who, where, how, and why of our rebirth into the kingdom of God. That's God's stuff. Those decisions are left to God and to God alone. Because the good news, which is a deep and profound but comforting truth, is that our salvation is in God's hands. God is sovereign over all. God is in charge of everything. We are fickle. We are undependable. Our opinions change according to whichever way the wind blows. But God is steadfast and true. God chooses when and how and where the Spirit rests upon us. All we have to do is receive and say thank you. Our lives and our salvation are in God's hands. And friends, I want to tell you, there's no better place to be. Do you remember the movie a few years, I'm going back a few years. It was, uh, with, uh, it was called Awakenings. And it starred Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. And it was based on a true story. And see, Robin Williams was a, uh, a doctor, a, a real guy, Oliver Sacks. And in the 1960s, Sacks was um, uh, working with uh, long-term encephalitis patients. These were people who were institutionalized with encephalitis, which is commonly known as the sleeping disease. Now, the deal is when you have encephalitis, you're alive and you're not quite comatose, but you're not really fully functioning either. Um, people just kind of exist in a catatonic state of, of unrecognition and, and there's no communication. And so they're said to be sleeping, even though their eyes are open and they're awake. Well, in the 60s, this guy, this doctor, Oliver Sacks, um, he started experimenting with this new drug that had this amazing effect of bringing these people awake. And Robert De Niro plays Leonard, 
Leonard is the first patient, this is true, first patient who after 30 years of being in this catatonic sleep-like trance gets the injection of the drug and he wakes up. And after 30 years, he gets to experience all over again sunshine and swimming and ice cream and all the joys of life. There's a great scene in the movie where at about one in the morning, De Niro's character, Leonard, calls uh, Oliver Sacks, calls Robin Williams and says, you got to get down here. you got to get down here quick. And so he gets in his car and he races off to the hospital. And Robin Williams says, what is it? What is it? What's going on? And De Niro looks at him and says, we got to tell people. And Robin Williams says, we got to tell them what? He says, we got to tell people how great life is. We got to tell people how wonderful this is. It's like people have forgotten how good it is to be alive. We've got to remind them about the joy and the love and the happiness, how wonderful this whole thing is. Friends, I think that's what it's like when we're born again into the kingdom of God. It's like we've come out of this catatonic, half-awake life that we've been living, and suddenly our eyes and our ears and our hearts are open, and we say, wow, I didn't remember it could be this great, so beautiful, so joy-filled, so happy. Friends, that's what the experience is when you're born into the kingdom. It's like suddenly waking up to what life is really about. It's about having your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength transformed and submitted completely to the purposes of God. And there is no greater joy to be found than being in the will of God. I want to assure you, my friends, that there is a force at work in this world, and it is a powerful force. It operates in the realm of our hearts and our minds and our souls. It is a force of great strength and great wisdom. It is the kingdom of God. But to be a part of what God is doing, to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God, to draw close to the heart of God requires transformation. It requires conversion. It requires the Spirit of God blowing upon us, giving us new eyes, new ears, new attitudes, new thoughts, new ways of being. It requires a deeper level of devotion a deeper concern and love for each other. It requires less judging and more forgiving. It requires a total life makeover. It demands a new life from a new birth. The good news, my friends, is that what God requires, God also provides. And that God's prescription for a new birth, for a new life, is also God's promise of a new birth and a new life. And there is no better promise. Amen.